Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell, and the ironically iconic introvert, Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. Look, we're not saying you should stop in every day, but if you have not yet bookmarked www.worldtrumpetfederation.com, you're doing it wrong. In addition to being the home of the Open Bell podcast, the WTF has informative articles, cool videos, and Joey's almost famous blog, which has nearly broken Facebook several times. So head on over to WorldTrumpetFederation.com for some new perspectives on trumpet. And by Payday. For years, Payday has been the official candy bar of Trombamundi, and now it's the official treat of the Open Bell podcast and World Trumpet Federation. Since 1932, the Payday Bar has been bringing joy to its consumers and fueling generations of trumpet players with its caramel nougat center and dense peanut outer layer. Need some stamina to get through a long rehearsal? Payday. Need a double C at the end of the night? Payday. Want to clear up your articulation? Yeah, whatever. Look, if you're a trumpet player and you're not eating Payday, you're doing it wrong. Payday is a product of the Hershey Company. Any attempt to change Payday by adding chocolate or other foreign substances is strictly prohibited and discouraged. Payday is perfect. It's an original form. Payday, the official candy bar of the World Trumpet Federation. All rights reserved. Offer void in New Mexico. The Open Bell Podcast is comprised of three segments. Warming up, couple things, and no offense. We use these segments to review, rewind, and rehash information that we believe is important to our rowdy trumpet rally. Gentlemen, shall we? Once again, Warming Up is brought to you by All Natural Chop Saber Lip Care. Whether you're a trumpet player or not, Chop Saber is the right choice. Available in regular and SPF varieties, Chop Saber protects your face. So I started with the green one, but shifted the SPF, the orange one, during cycling season. That has become my favorite flavor. Guys, what about you? Orange or green? What do you do? Orange. Uh, oh, I like the green, but I will tell you, during the summertime, if I'm out, if I'm out a lot, yeah, then we go to the orange. I need the SPF. But quick, quick follow-up. When yeah. is it not cycling season, Bill? Oh, that's true. Now, cycle all winter. Got my shoe covers. I'm all in. <laughs> Did an hour today. <laughs> nice. That's, oh, man, today would have been perfect. It was beautiful. Um, Brian, if you were a color, what would you be? Clear? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or beige. <laughs> beige. <laughs> what, what, what have you got for us? <laughs> okay, so I have, I have a question. I guess it's a question. Um, I want to tell a little story. The answer and, is no. And then uh, I'm going then, with no. Wait, <laughs> where's my buzzer? Question. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I'm a brass bander, and I love brass bands. I love the camaraderie. I love the playing. But sometimes there's a little friction. Mm. And so this is a story of, um, I believe, the Black Dyke Mills Brass Band mm -hmm. at a time when... Um, um, the great Philip McCann was playing principal cornet with that band. And the bumper up. There it is. For those novices, the the assistant, the second chair, Maybe second Maybe the down. most important chair in the band, arguably. <laughs> <laughs> what, some some so would Bill, argue. when you played last year with <laughs> ABB, what, where would you sit? Uh, you know, bumper up. There it is. <laughs> bumper yeah. up. There it is. Um, the bumper up was a, a person by the name of David King, who is a great cornet player um, from Australia, 
and is now a, a very famous conductor um, and educator in the UK. And um, he conducts the Brigham and Rastrick Band now. And he's won all these contests literally all over the world. Great conductor and musician. And he sat bumper up. And they didn't speak to each other. Now they <laughs> share, literally in the brass band, you share a stand. Yeah, and markings. Yep, and, mar- and markings. <laughs> not letting that go. I'm no. not. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. Um, so when Philip wanted to tell David to do something, he would tell the third chair player oh, come to, on. Tell, to oh. tell David. Now, I know that there are orchestral trumpet sections that also don't get along on occasion. Yes, there are. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to talk about and just see what you thought about existing in that atmosphere, how people do it, and why people might do it, especially for cornet players. Well, I, I don't have nearly the insight into cornet players as, as you do, <laughs> but uh, speaking to, to trumpet players and what happens here in the United States, uh, I've, I've seen this. You know, I, I, I've absolutely seen this in the big band world. I've seen it in the orchestral world, the idea of two players sitting right next to each other that literally don't speak just what you're talking about and existing in that is unpleasant you can you can feel the tension in the section you know it it's there and it's there all of the time but why people do it and i i've seen this from a couple of areas and i think some of the time i don't i don't think this is universal the idea is i'm right and the other person's wrong and so this is my chair, this is my band, and so I'm the one that has the ownership, and the other person is wrong, and they and it turns into that kind of stalemate where no one will give because they are so convinced that their owner they have both the 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 moral high ground and the ownership is what I've seen. And, and I'm thinking, you know, wow. in some cases, how many times does it, so many years go by they forget what the original you know, Rift was about. They just know that they don't speak to one another. Just know there's history there. So I I think, and I know we have some students that listen to the show, so I'm going to put out there, I think what needs to be right is the music. So, like, I I just can't even imagine that situation. You have to put that aside. Even if it's for the amount of time in the rehearsal, you deal with somebody professionally and then you move on. I know that's not always the case. If you don't want to speak to them outside the rehearsal, fine, but the music should be the most important thing going on in the room. The good of the order. That's my, my two and cents. There, but there are players that do succeed musically, but then mm-hmm. you're still living. I mean, you got to remember that, you know, it, you're also still human. And, and, you know, right. and it's still, you're sitting with those people. You are living with them at, yeah. at work with that level of, uh, of tension and, and, and mistrust or lack of trust. That's yeah. hard. That's it's unpleasant. Really hard. Yeah, it seems it seems brutal. It seems a very difficult place to live and and work. And uh, how do you get excited for going to your job well, in that it, atmosphere? It's got to be there I, all I the found time, even, right? I, I found this to be harder uh, in the big band world when big bands are out on the road because then you're going, you're on the, you know, when you're on the road, mm. that's twenty four hours a day you're living with these people. <laughs> and I, there are places where this has absolutely happened, and it's it can bring a whole band down. It's it's a uh, I will tell you, um, uh, Frank Green, you guys know Frank Green. Um, yeah. yeah. He preceded me on Maynard's Band, and we'd known each other from Disney way before. So uh, John Owens was thinking, hey, maybe it's time to go. And Frank's like, hey, I could come back. So Frank came back, and it was the two of us. And we both had asked the road manager, hey, 
I could just room with Frank. And Frank's like, I could just room with you. So we were rooming together. And it was about three or four days before uh, one of the sax players on the bus said, okay, so this is going to be cool? And, we, <laughs> and, 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 we did, and we're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, we're all on the back of the bus. Okay, listen, a couple of us have been talking. Because there had been a time in the past where they had had two people out who had each been the lead player on the band oh. together. It did not go well. <laughs> <laughs> and right, of, course, of course, but Frank was, uh, I, I mean, he came in and I'm like, all right, what do you want to play? He's like, well, no, man, you know, you're in the chair now. I'm like, oh, come on, you got to be crazy about this. You know, okay, so we had to split things up. It, it was, he was unbelievably cool about it. I tried my best to be cool about it and it worked it worked very well, and he hung for a while, and then and then he left, and he came back again later. But you know, there was that concern because it had happened. And when and when you're talking about a small band like that out on the yeah. road where you're living mm. together all the time, oof, you know. And another uh, on the opposite side, you know, wh- I was around playing with Cincinnati an awful lot when that chair was open after Phil Collins had retired, and they're like, who's coming in? How's this going to be? And I, you know, I'd been playing with these guys, and I'd been playing mm. with the section, and it's a ver- it's an excellent section of nice guys who get along. So, you know, they hire Bob Sullivan. I'm like, all right, I wonder what this guy's like. Mm. You know, I never met him. I'm like, oh, you know, New York, Cleveland. Well, I mean, obviously he can can play. I wonder what it's like. And so I think it was within his first month, it was a Pops thing I went over to do. And so he's there. And I walk in and there's a brass room uh, aside from the locker room where all the people in Cincinnati play, you know, hang out and get dressed and do that in there. I walk in, he's sitting there, and everybody's sort of hanging. Hey, I'm Bob. Hi, I'm Joey. I'm going to the rehearsal, and I watch. I'm like, boy, did they hire the right guy. <laughs> Plays great, and the hang. No offense to you, Brian. Yeah, yeah Brian. that seems weird to <laughs> no me. No offense. But, but you, it, it, I think that part of it, it, it is you want somebody that you can, for lack of a better term, you can live with as well. Because, wow, you pick the wrong person, even if they play well. We covered a little bit about this and in, in, in talking about the rules. But boy, when you hire that person who plays well that you can't get along with, well, sure, the music's still good, but that's not all of it when it's a full-time job. No. Yeah. yeah. And you're always there. Well, I look, I look at, you know, Trombamundi, right? When I applied for the uh, the opening, you know, sure it was about my playing, <laughs> but really, <laughs> it was an extensive interview. <laughs> extensive. Extensive interview. And a letter-writing campaign. Yes, it was. It was more about fit, really. Yeah. Now, you Brian, know. do you have theories on this? You asked the question. We've sort of answered it. Do you have uh, answers for yourself? Yeah. I mean, I, I just feel like no matter what the conflict is, I'm going to try and work it out with that person. And I'm going to keep trying to work it out and figure out what I can do to make it better. Um, and if I can't, I'm really not going to let it fe- affect me at my core. Like that's going to roll off my back. But I'm certainly not going to let it separate me from my chair in the band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's not going to separate me from my passion and doing what I love. So it's going to make it a little bit less fun. But yeah, I'm certainly, I'm just, it's going to roll off my back as much as possible yeah yeah that's good got to keep mm-hmm. it in perspective you know yeah i think kind of so. like your markings <laughs> keep them in Speak, perspective speaking of letting it roll Speak- off your back <laughs> <laughs> speaking of letting go uh brian uh joey what do you have for us i have this uh for us it's the end of audition season and you know normally here at iu we hear we do these in person and we have a long day in january a long day in february a long day in march and this year they uh everything being online they said all right here are all the recordings due February 1st, and they gave us almost 100 of them. We'd like them back by February 19th. So I've been, you know, 
uh, mired in auditions. And I want people when they record themselves, and I am convinced <laughs> they're not listening before they they send the recording in. Mm. I'm convinced of of at least a few of these recordings were not listened to. So this is a public service announcement from your favorite your your friendly neighborhood trumpet teacher. <laughs> before you send something in, I don't care if it's last minute. Just listen and listen all the way through. Because some people sent us things that were fairly long. You know, we said about eight minutes, but some of them might have been, you know, 15 or for doctoral students even longer. Take the time to make sure something didn't go wrong or something isn't just distorted or something isn't just completely falling apart. But I, I am convinced there are at least a handful I listened to this year. There is no way they listened to that before it was uploaded and said, yep, that's what I'm sending off to apply to college. They finished playing it and they realized, yeah, that's as good as it's going to get. Send. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking not just that part, but I'm talking from the the actual physical recording part. Yeah. Like uh, things are feeding back. Oh, right. Mm. You know, like it's so distorted, I can't even tell what I'm really listening to. Oh, boy. So public service announcement. I mean, have you guys run into this? I mean, do you have this? Have you... Well, at least a wide range of recording qualities, you know, and you have, obviously sometimes somebody doesn't have the means to do it, you know, or they're recording in a, it's a, a dead room or something like that. But yeah, we sure see a wide variety. You do see a, a variety of them and situations, you know, in the UK, it's, it brings up an interesting point in the UK for my daughter did vet school applications and it came out that the essay portion cannot be graded by the school's based on grammar and quality only on ideas because all of the rich kids were farming out mm. their essay writing and getting oh, editors okay. and all the poor oh. kids had no no so yeah. they decided to just flatten um, right and that's why i the like having for the videos and I, you know i i can certainly appreciate that if this is all i have to record with sure right but you still have to listen to it and go, right. Did it, does that sound like a cell phone recording of me, like whatever I used? Because, wow. Uh, yeah, because there were certain, certainly there were different levels, but that's not really where I'm going as no, much as you got to make sure it, it's at it's acceptable to you that, before you sent it out. That you can hear the trumpet. Yes, that would <laughs> yeah. be important to me. Or what, do you, what do you got for us today? Um so I have a question. Um, this is this is an interesting one because I've kind of caught myself saying this a few times here over the past couple months, and I thought I'd ask the question to you guys. Can you remember the last time that you were bored? <laughs> wow, um, that's a great that's it's, a great question. It's, oh, it's interesting, searching, right? Searching files, searching files, searching files. <laughs> I mean, I got to think about, like, I love all this stuff I do, and I, I think I intentionally have just put a bunch of variety in my life, but I, I don't remember the last time I just sat around going, man, I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. with you on that. I, I think I'm with you, too, on that. Now, there are times in, uh, where I will go out of my way to do nothing. Yes, but that's yes. different. But that's different than saying very different. That I, I'm bored and there's nothing I can or want Be to do. That's a different thing. Because I think like sometimes the shame. bored thing comes with a little frustration, right? Like, oh, I'm so bored. Like, I don't have anything. Like, I don't feel that. Like, I don't, I don't know when the last time was I ever felt like that. Because I always have something to do. 
there's always something I want to do. Well, there is. Yeah, a, you're right. Even if that's doing nothing. Yes. Yeah. Like for me, I uh, you know, I, I like the idea. I like the end of the day. I like my day mm-hmm. being over, which is why maybe choosing a, a, a career as a performing musician, maybe I should have thought that through. Because <laughs> if you wake up and you've got a concert, you're on the clock, you know. Right. But the idea of like, all right, when my, when my teaching day's over, my practice day's over, I come home, get done with dinner and get the dishes all done. And it's like, done done so yeah. i and i enjoy you know finding something in like i like sitcoms if i can watch a, a, a stupid 22 minutes of tv and enjoy myself mm-hmm. yeah great boom i'm a big sports fan as you guys know like so you know, we'll often text during games big games that are going on because that's right. a good that's doing <laughs> nothing but it's enjoyable but then you know when you want in, from a product productivity standpoint yeah there's always so much to do yeah 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 okay cool Absolutely. I feel I feel badly for people who are bored. Yeah. Right. I mean, you get programming in downtime. Great. I'm I'm totally into that. You know, you have to have time to recharge. But uh, yeah, I don't think bored. Yeah. If you're really kind of structuring your day and thinking about all the things that you yeah, like you want to do, I don't know how you'd have time to be to be bored. Yeah. Cool. I just thought I'd (laughs) kind of throw it out there. Mm -hmm. All right. So here's the exciting thing. Uh, Backboard bingo tonight. Are you ready for this? It's the Backboard Bingo Truth or Dare version. Oh, no. Backboard Bingo. (laughs) Truth or Truth or Dare. dare. Yeah. So, like, Joey, I know you have issues with games. Like, your childhood fascinates me that you don't know how any of this works, but... (laughs) So, here are the rules for truth or dare. If oh, there you guys are have rules? Played. Yeah, there's rules. Uh-oh. Truth or dare. All right, so here's the way backboard bingo truth or dare works. I make a statement. <laughs> okay. And then you guys determine whether or not that statement is true. It's, so it's not sort true. sort of like true or false. <laughs> right. false. So, now you're saying backboard bingo truth or dare edition is actually just a true-false test? It's not entirely. You'll see what I'm, where I'm going. So... Let's try to follow me. I know this is hard for you. If you get it right, there's no dare, okay? But here's the catch. If either of you misses the question, there is a dare, and that dare is that Joey has to play a double C. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm not doing that. No, you can work up to it. (laughs) You don't have to just play a double C. I love this. But you have to play a double C. I could play a low C now. I could play two Cs in a row. (laughs) That's a double C. Joey, you can make it that Bill has to play a pedal C. Oh, I like this idea. When we get it right, you have to play an open pedal C. Do I? On B-flat trumpet. Do I have to use both lips? (laughs) Yes. They can't see us. If you both get it right. We can see Bill. They can see me. My microphone is right here. I can't reach my trumpet from where I'm sitting. Okay. Can I use my flugelhorn? Uh, You know what? doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready? Backboard bingo, truth oh, or dare? Man. No. Question one. Jeez. <laughs> oh, All right, here we go. Here's the statement. Today, we call it a cup mute, but the evolution of that term has been quite interesting. It seems that early trumpeters would use an actual cup to cover their bells. In fact, it was a very small cup that was typically used on a dinner table to hold sardines. So this sardine cup eventually gave way to the term sardine and of course the more casual interchangeable word cup or cup mute is that true or false 
Okay, here's the problem. Are you saying is it entirely true or entirely false? Because there are parts of that that are true. I can show you videos of big bands with guys using dinner cups in front of their bells. I do not believe those came with sardines, though. Well, I'm saying initially, right? Early trumpeters. Like back in the early False. That's totally true. Oh, you guys don't agree. No, It's, it's false. Okay, you know you both need to be right on this for Joey not to have to play. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, if I, if, if I get it right and he gets it wrong, then he has to play a double C. No, that's not the rules. I try, This is the way this works. Okay. If either one of you misses, so t- Joey has a- to play a double C. Okay. It's false. Of course it's false. You're oh. right. But yeah. since Brian said, but I'm wrong. I mean, it's a cup mute. Everyone knows that, Brian. Why would you believe that a sword <laughs> sardine cup? I thought it was a trick question. No. Well, ultimately it is. But Joey, you have to play double C because that's the dare. <laughs> you got to be way kidding it works. me. Come on. He explained the rules. The rules. So wait a minute. All you have to do is disagree with me every time, and I'm sitting here pounding double C. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a problem for you normally. I can't believe it. Come on, man. These are the rules. I don't have a. Are you serious? Did you never play Truth or Dare? This is the way it works. (laughs) This is fantastic. This is awesome. Cold. You guys know I'm just going to overdub this later, right? (laughs) I'm totally fine with that. I'm trying to make you famous here. Okay. Okay. There we go. Wow. Jesus. Cold on cold chops. <laughs> Good Lord. That's amazing. All right. Brian, you just stay with me here. Okay. Brian, right. just keep disagreeing with me, keep and then I'm just, I'll Brian, be passing just out. So how many questions are there? There's five. I'm hoping 27. For five. I'm going for five double Cs. <laughs> All right. Question two. Backboard bingo, truth or dare. Composer Franz Joseph Haydn, the man who could be credited for giving us one of our first pieces of solo literature, for the trumpet, and also credited with needlessly ruining the lives and chops of countless high school trumpet players who should have never had to learn the piece in the first place, has two skulls in his coffin. (laughs) (laughs) Now, see, see, this could be a trick question because he's not saying the the coffin in which he is buried. (laughs) You're way overthinking this. (laughs) Two skulls? Yes, two skulls in his coffin. I'm saying false. I'm saying there's no way. Yeah. Brian? I, Brian? No, I I, th- I think he's holding one in his hand. Yeah. He's so you're two. just disagreeing with this is he crap. Has, no, he has, he has two. He has oh, two. man. It's true. <laughs> it's totally true. It's not true. No, it's true, but you both didn't get it right, so you have to play double C. <laughs> Here's the thing. So two of his friends I'm initially took his skull to examine it because they thought he had, since he had musical you know, powers, that they wanted to examine the skull. So they, so when they got caught, they were prepared for that, and they gave authorities another skull from another body, and then it, 145 years later, they actually reunited his skull with his body, like they figured out it was his skull, but they didn't want to take the other one out because it had been there so long. So there's two skulls in the coffin. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, I think it's just punishment from the universe for writing that E flat. <laughs> That's what I think it is. Oh, and okay. now you have to play a double C because you were wrong. And there's two. Outstanding. 
Fantastic. Well done. Man, I can't. I don't know how you pick your horn up and just do that cold. All right. Question three, backboard bingo, truth or dare. And, For most of this is the life, last time we're ever playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> this is know. a great game. This could be a crowd favorite. For most of his life, Louis Armstrong lied about his age. He claimed to be born on July 4th, 1900. But in 1988, an historian found his birth certificate, which revealed he was born on August 4th, 1901. That's true. Brian? No, he didn't lie. Why would he lie? That's crazy. It's true. That's Brian, go with me. It's true. Go with me, Brian. It's true. No way. You don't actually know that. Brian, go with me. That's false. All right. Brian said false. It's actually true. Joey's right. (laughs) Yet, he still has to play double C. I knew that. That one I know. (laughs) Come on. How do you know that? He lied about his age (sighs) to to get in a military band and play gigs. (laughs) That's why they assume he did it. Nonetheless, the rules of the game indicate that you have to drop a double C. This game is ridiculous. <laughs> this game is awesome. I love this game. You know you don't actually have to play it right now, right? You could just dub it in later. <laughs> but that would be cheating. <laughs> he doesn't cheat. You take a different route up. Even, <laughs> even in a you game like this. You want. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, I love this, this game. It doesn't matter what the game is. Joey right, does not 15, cheat. 15 more questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question four. Backward bingo, truth or dare? I can't believe Around. you didn't trust me on that. I said, Brian, go with me. I knew <laughs> Brian, that. Are you kidding? Like, Brian, of all things, someone's birthday, you're not going to trust Joey. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess that's right. I, that's right. I knew your dad's before you did. Come on. Yeah, that was ridiculous. All right, question four. Backward bingo, truth or dare. Around 1721, J.S. Bach was looking for a new gig. He cleaned up some existing pieces he had written and submitted them to the Margrave of Brandenburg as a kind of a job application. These now famous works, known as the Brandenburg Concerti, are some of the most important in the orchestral repertoire. However, they failed to get Johann the gig. Well, I have one objection. Um, They're not some of the most important in the orchestral repertoire. (laughs) That's just not true. I... That you, part oh, is not true. I think it's an opinion. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Orchestras are not regularly programming the Brandenburgs. Yet they're important to us. Well, well one, of them, one of them one is. One of them is important <laughs> to one us. Um, but I, I do believe that to be true, and they were lost for years. These were gone forever. These were one of those things that were like found in somebody's trunks later So you on. say it's true he did not get the job. Yes, I will contend that the he did not get the job. The true. Right. That part. Well, False. That he got part. the gig. He got the gig. What? You, this? I am being set up here. You're wow. just disagreeing with me every time. <laughs> he got the gig. He didn't get the gig. He didn't get the gig. Apparently, he had a track record for <laughs> no. being a difficult employee. Yeah, he didn't get the gig. I don't know why you're arguing with me about Louis Armstrong and Bach. These are things that I know about. <laughs> well, now I think he just wants to hear double C's. It's just want to hear a double raining C's. down on yes. the podcast. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Bach should have listened to p- the rules part two, how to get called back, apparently. Yeah, we should have started this podcast in the, what, in the early, in the, in the Baroque era. That's where we're supposed to go. Early 1700s to help him out. All right, here we go. Outstanding. Is that four? Well done. That's four. There's only four. one left. If you'll just agree with me, we won't have to go through this. You guys are going to argue about this one, I can tell. All right, question five. 
back for bingo truth or dare. In the labeling of his designs, trumpet maker Vincent Bach used numbers associated with the size of machine tools used to make each product. For uh -oh. example, a 27th throat had to do with the drill bit size, 27. However, it turns out that there is one exception to this approach, and that is the now infamous... 7C. It turned out that Vincent Bach <laughs> chose the number 7 because it is a holy number, and he viewed the 7C as the foundational product of his trumpet empire. That is false. That is blatantly false. He was a very religious man. <laughs> I am being set up. This is... I would like to lodge an official complaint. Totally true. This is okay. false. I agree with Brian that it, that he was a very holy man, but it's false. <laughs> All right, so it, it, I got four of these lie. right. I won on record. I got that, four of these right. But the rules don't account for you getting it right. <laughs> they the rules, need to. I object to the rules. It's You're it's out of order. There. You're out of order. This whole game's out of order, You're and out I'm out. <laughs> You're out. You need me on that wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got to do one more of these? We need yeah. you on that double Yeah, C. because you didn't agree. I no, I started. He didn't agree. I went first. <laughs> but you both have to agree, which means you have to play a double C. <laughs> That's the fifth one. Fantastic. That's I would like I would like this known, and I'm not kidding about this. <laughs> I had no idea this was coming. No, you we didn't. record this at night after this dinner. Awesome. And all of you, what you just heard was live. <laughs> no editing, no overdubbing. Oh my God. This is my people. favorite episode we've this ever is done. Great. You I people. love this. God, I love this game. <laughs> Brian, you're really good at this game. Yeah. He's I'm one in four. I know. I'm awesome at this game. He's. <laughs> He actually made sure that we lost this game. We got, as a team, we got nothing right because he I, never agreed with me. I don't, I don't know, know what you're upset about. I Look, batted 800 I in that game. I think we won this game. I Look, don't know what you're talking about. So you, didn't, so you guys didn't agree, which means you got asked to do something you've been doing since you were in high school. What's the big deal? <laughs> you're 16. Raining what I'm saying is, C's on, on gatherings. But I'm saying if I – well, that's true. I, don't, I always like – there's always a good time for a double C. But what I'm saying is if I get it right and Brian gets it wrong, that means he should have to play something. Well, Brian doesn't have a double C. How's that going to work? Well, he could play something else. But that's not the rules. Yeah, that doesn't But truth or, or dare, truth or this dare, is, this is not how truth or dare works. Yeah. Well, see, again, you don't understand the rules. Wow. I don't know how Backboard you got Backboard through bingo. your childhood. Wow. You're a backboard bingo. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, thankfully, it's time for a couple things. Recently, two specific events, one inside and one outside of music, have reminded me of how important it is to practice success. In fact, I'll go a step further and suggest that we need to put ourselves in a position to expect success. So it's then and only then that we can actually succeed, right? So let's talk about practicing success. Absolutely. I think this starts from the first time you look at a piece of music, right? I think a lot of times this is where the trouble begins. The trouble begins when you look at a piece of music and go, oh, crap. So <laughs> I have three questions that I want people to ask when they look at a piece of music. 
Here are your three questions. Mm. Are there any notes on this page that I cannot play? And you look and go, hmm, I can play all these notes. Okay. Are there any intervals here, any from one note to any other note on this page that I can't play? And you look and say, well, no, I can play from that to that. I can play from that to that. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah. And then number three, are there any rhythms on this page that I can't play? Then you go, well, that sounds like good, good. So if you can answer no to those three questions, then you can play that piece of music. So you're already set up for, well, now I have some confidence. I can play all the notes. I can play all the intervals. I can play all the rhythms. So that means I can play this. That's from a fun, you're starting from a place of I can do this rather than, mm. and especially I go through this a lot with, uh, with undergrads when they get here, and I, I'm like, all right. Let's take a look at those uh, characteristic studies for real. And, and what is that? It's a whole page of 16th notes. And it's like, oh, no, but these are hard. And I said, well, let me ask you a few questions. And they're like, oh. <laughs> uh, and they know they're like, you're tricking me. I said, no, I'm not. I really want to make this easier, right? I want to set up from the foundation of beginning to play an idea of I can do this. So there's an expectation of success rather than, and I think this is where a lot of people start their practicing, starting from a place of, well, let's see what I can do here. I know I'm just going to screw this up, right? So start <laughs> from the positive rather from the negative, right? There's That's where I start from. I agree. Uh, you, I love it. You guys? Yeah. I think it's great. It's, it's, super, it's super positive. And I, I've always admired that actually about you joey is that you actually believe like in me and bill in our playing more than we do mm, yes <laughs> which i've always found really cool <laughs> yeah but yeah. i'm right you guys are really good <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's and, cool since the moment i met you you've you've felt mm -hmm. better about my playing than i felt about it <laughs> which is which has always been really it's yeah it's very it's very and, cool and you've it's said very, very uplifting yeah you've said really nurturing things to me like that's the most ridiculous thing you've ever said. Get your horn out of your case. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I stand by that. And I stand you by that. Yeah. So, so here, my two things, right? I, I mentioned I had a, a thing inside music and one outside of music. The inside music is, I, I just had a student, a couple students give a recital, under, underclassmen giving a recital, and, and both of them have been, lacked the kind of confidence I thought they might need to do that. And the great thing was this was the event that I had hoped it would be and that it provided them with this success to completely have them pivot and change their perspective. Mm, now nice. they're looking ahead to the next one because they know they did it, right? Right. And I'm thinking all along, like, you know, building up to a recital, for example, we don't practice success enough on the way in, right? There well, should we, be. We, we should. <clears throat> we yeah. should. Um, the first time you give that recital shouldn't, you know, or the, when you do your recital for a grade, should not be the first time you play that recital. Right. Right? It, yeah. You should have played pieces of it in, in church, or you should have offered to give the recital at a local assisted living facility or something, right? Get out and practice that and build success one after the other to get to that point. Uh, the thing outside of music, and then I'll let you guys chime in on that, and this pains me to say this, but this whole Tampa Bay Buccaneer thing, <laughs> this whole Tom Brady thing because like I'm a you know I'm a Steelers fan so I don't like Tom Brady or the Patriots but I all of a sudden I have a ton of respect for what he did and I look at that as you take a hey, team you can have a ton of respect and still not like him because not liking Tom Brady and the Patriots is the right 
way to be. Oh, <laughs> all right. So I don't have to let go of that then. No, oh, you can still dislike so the Patriots. That's just the right thing to do. That's great. It's like I, I look at it like rooting for the Yankees or the Lakers. It's morally wrong. It's like rooting for the house in blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> the house in blackjack. Well, I looked at what he, you know, he, he goes into that team, and of course it's a team effort, and they've got a great defense, but I think there was a culture shift because he expects to win. Correct. And he expects to be great. And the same with Gronkowski going, you know, I mean, it was this, you look at that mindset and the impact that it can have, just truly remarkable, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's, um, it's important for students to experience that success, but so many of them um, have not experienced that success. And I think it's, um, I think it's fascinating to watch. I, I had that experience with, um, uh, a student today who was playing a Bordoni and just said, you know, I just can't play this. <laughs> and I was like, don't be ridiculous. Of course you can. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and, um, and so I just, I just took them through a few questions about this one passage that they were really struggling with and just broke it down for them a little bit. I did actually a little bit of your, um, Bill, your, uh, your note grouping thing with mm -hmm. them. And I said, are you thinking about it? And, and then, well, no. And I said, okay, so then this is this chord. And then if you're transposing an E, it's now this chord. And they're like, okay. And I said, now play it. Okay, what does that feel like? What does that sound like? What's your mm -hmm. brain doing? They're like, it's a completely different experience. Of course it is. Right. Um, that was always always there. And that this, this particular student um, uh, came to me thinking he was a terrible player. Um, and within a year, he was playing G's above high C. Um, and he's a wonderful player. He did Halsey Stevens' third movement for his jury last nice. uh, last fall. Yeah. And he's, he's doing great. Um, but even he has that sort of, it's not confident, you know, lack of confidence, yes, but that experience, like it's just an experience. He, I think in his high school band, he played like fourth or fifth chair. Um, and so he just never felt like he was that, that good of a player and he, right. he really is he's he's terrific i think that getting to the confidence thing um i find that fascinating i was always told well you just got to play with confidence you just got to be confident you gotta mm -hmm. and i i don't think you can just play with confidence <laughs> <laughs> i think you have to learn it through your experience in your practice room in your ensembles in your lessons and that that's a very careful thing that's planned and built uh, over the course of your time in school. This is v huge and important. I'm glad you brought this up. I wanted to get to this point is where does that come from? Right. And I am, as you guys know, a very logical thinking person. So when I talk to my students and they say to me like, yeah, but I mean, I just don't have this confidence. I'm like, why not? They're like, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a lot of evidence to support that you can succeed. Why are you ignoring it? Right. So let's just make it a logic problem. I'm not here to like, be your cheerleader and you know be like yeah you can do it you can do it i'm like here to say here's how and this is where the educational system is really really important for us we want to put students in a situation where they can succeed then experiencing that success recognize that success and be able to build upon it exactly what you're talking about so i'll have you know students most of the students who, who are here are you know pretty good and, and successful then they'll get here and go Oh my gosh, everybody else. You immediately start that music school problem of, of recognizing course. everybody else's strengths and only seeing your own weaknesses, right? So when right. that happens, it's a fairly normal thing to happen here. I'm like, right, okay, so you got in here. Now, 
I didn't know you much before you got here, so it's not just because I like you. <laughs> it's because you played <laughs> really well, and you did well in high school, and you're doing well in college. So there's evidence along the way for success that that should you should be able to recognize, and without being the stereotypical cocky trumpet player, recognize that I have done this well, I can do this well, and then from the really small part, like I was talking about, when you're starting even the piece of music, start from, I can do this, not... I'm never going to be able to play this because I've had students say the same thing. Well, I can't play this. Really? Why not? <laughs> right. You yeah. know, that start from there. But then uh, I just gave a master class this week talking about this with our trumpet players here at IU. I think most trumpet players practice a little backwards. What they do is they get in the practice room and we, we're practicing until we, yeah, we kind of got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I got it. And then you get on stage and it's not until the performance that you really are paying attention to every single microscopic <laughs> detail mm -hmm. so that any little thing on the performance, you're like, oh, oh, oh. So what I was saying is this is what you should be doing in your practice room. You get really microscopic with it. There it is. There hey. it is. Yes. Right. In the well practice done. room so that when you get to the performance, you have built that comfort level. Like, you've right. built a comfort level. I've taken this thing apart. I've put it back together. I know I own this. I'm yeah. going gonna to play this because I ha I've built that in my practice. So when you step out on stage, now you don't have, you're not concerned with the microscopic because you can just sit back and play the music. You've already covered that. I think we end up doing that a lot backwards. And this leads to not doing as well in a performance as you would like, which then leads to a lack of confidence rather than the other way around. Right. And, and this is the thing to practice. Right. I mean, we, we think about practicing the trumpet and practicing our skills and techniques, but we have to practice this process of being successful to know what that means in every way. Uh, so we've got this this really great thing, a departmental recital that happens, you know, on Wednesdays. Right. Um, f happening like fewer times a semester now because of because of all the protocols and all that. But I always encourage students that's a place to go out and play half an etude an etude, one movement, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Because you're there's this whole process that you go through about what you'll do that day and what you'll what you do leading up to it and how much you warm up, all these things to guarantee the success that you need. And to as teachers, to create these these things along the way where you know you're gonna put someone in a position to succeed and they're gonna be able to practice succeeding, right? Yeah. There again. The first we shouldn't you shouldn't be going into anything going, man, I hope this goes OK today <laughs> now, or not we, knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Uh, could I back up a step? I have a story yes, from high school, please. which is uh, back to like uh, the nuts and bolts of how to practice music. This is a true story that sounds like a made up story from an old man, but I guarantee it's true. <laughs> I, I, I went in the summer of 1982. I went to Eastman for a summer jazz camp. This is where I met Vince DiMartino. He was the trumpet yeah. teacher and he was the jazz band director. So. Uh, you know, it was like it was like a college summer thing. Like there were classes all day and rehearsals, and we had lessons once a week. But it was like you know busy during the day, and there'd be concerts and stuff uh, with the with the jazz band. Now Vince was as very demanding as a trumpet teacher, and he, he didn't care that we were you know 15 years old. And he's like, do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. Now the second day of the camp, there was also a vocal camp going on, and there was this young woman there that showed some interest in me. I had some interest in her, so now I had a problem because my problem is I definitely want to hang out and it's summer camp. No offense, Brian, but <laughs> you mean you if I out? don't, if I, if I don't play this stuff for my trumpet lesson, Vince will kill me. 
right? <laughs> so this is where I figured out how to practice in this way. And this is how to set up for success because I think most people, what they do, what do they do? They start at the beginning, you go until you screw up, you fix, you go back, you go until you screw up, you stop and fix. This is a terrible way to practice. So again, I'm going to give you the three-step process here. So what I did is I took one of these etudes and I'm like, okay, I, I can't sit in here for hours and hours and hours. What can I do? And I asked myself those three questions. And I said, okay, so if I go slowly, I can play this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I literally went half tempo and played all the way through and went, oh, because now I've played an entire piece of music. And this is what the big failing is. When you're thinking about, I want to have some success, well, what's your goal? Your goal is to play a piece of music. It's not to play an etude with zero mistakes. It's to play one piece of music. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play that piece of music. Whatever, my, whatever I'm playing, whatever I'm sight reading, play all the way through without stopping mm-hmm. in, a musical su- in a musical setting, whatever tempo that you can negotiate that. Mm-hmm. So I did that slowly and went, huh. Well, yeah, I made some mistakes there. I made some mistakes there. So that step one, played all the way through. Step two, go in there, find those little spots. What was that? Well, let me take a look at that. Let me take a look at that. And then step three. I'm going to play it through one more time and then I'm done with it for the day. Now, there's still some mistakes there, but over the course of a week, now every day of those six days before my lesson, I've played it all the way through twice and I'm gradually moving the tempo up. I might still make a mistake here and a mistake there. Fine. But I go into my lesson with Vince. All right, let me hear this. And I play it all the way through probably at about 80, 85% of tempo. It's Mm -hmm. not at tempo. But it's good and it's musical and it's the whole thing. And he says, yeah, it sounds pretty good. It needs to go a little faster. Okay, so the next one. And in my head I thought, <laughs> I just got away with something. Crack the code. Yeah. But I thought I was cheating. But what I figured out is this is a smart way to practice. Because yeah. what you're practicing is, one, the success we're talking about. Two, mm-hmm. playing music, not figuring out note, 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 note. Right. Because what happens is, well, I never really played it all the way through without stopping. Well, why not? That's the goal. That's where you should start. Yeah. So there's a three, there's two, three step processes. There's three questions to ask and play it all the way through whatever you can. Isolate some spots, play it all the way through whatever tempo you can. Boom. And let it go because you'll spend less time in a practice room and get more done. Well, and I love the idea of this because really what you're doing is you're you're setting up this knowledge of the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. You're understanding exactly what the task is in front of you. I want to take that idea and zoom out even more to say, let's look what the whole thing looks like, right? So I have a student that just finished a junior recital. I want to look at now what the senior recital looks like this fall. Let's really zoom out there and get unmicroscopic with it. You know, and then you could say macroscopic. I could say let's get macroscopic. That's a word, is it? Yeah. Wow. That remind me, Brian. I'll put that in backboard bingo truth or dare next time. (laughs) We're not playing that again. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so good. I was set up. Brian was so happy. I was set up. But so I want to zoom out not only to say like this is what the recital He was a very holy man. Did you actually say that? <laughs> he yes, did. I did. He oh did. God. He may have gone too far there. <laughs> <laughs> he was a very holy man. <laughs> I think that will be the title of this episode. <laughs> yes. Not practicing success. Dot dot dot. 
he, he was, was a, a very, very holy, holy man. man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, not only are we going to get macroscopic with it and zoom out to the rep, but we're going to talk about what that's going to be like, what the process is going to be like. And we're going to start to envision a really positive experience that we know where we can be successful. Everything from walking on stage and what chamber music will end the recital and who's going to be involved and all those things to start to build toward that complete product. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. And then, you know, if we, if we frame what success is at all of our different points, um, we have to, I would love my students to recognize that to be human is to make mistakes and that you need to make mistakes that drives improvement. Um, there's a, I just saw a broadcast about uh, neuroplasticity and um, that there's an urgency to fix mistakes that actually changes the way mm -hmm. the brain functions. Mm -hmm. And, and if you're not aware, one of the great um, definers of people who can be successful as musicians is are they able to pinpoint where the mistakes are and I do have some students who struggle with that so we actually work on that play this three lines of this etude okay now go back and think about it where were the mistakes um, I do have a lot of students who are constantly looking back at what they've done while they're playing, which takes, right. of course, a huge amount of <laughs> mental energy, right? And so it takes away everything from what you're trying to do, the music you're trying to make. But that habit is is hard to break. So sort of defining success at each of its moments, I think, is, is really important. And coming back to my goal is change and improvement, not perfection. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's really yeah. what we're after. Um, I, I believe in this. So like these students that just gave this recital and they were both ecstatic and they should have been. Now, was it perfect? No. Are there things we're going to address? Yes, of course. But I want to capture what they both looked like and felt like when they walked off that stage. Mm -hmm. Each time they were riding high and they should have been because it was a great victory for them. So much so that I forbid them from listening to the recording for two weeks. That's a smart move. Yep. Because I need that. I need that feeling to settle in and that confidence to be there and nothing to shake it. So that when they do listen to it and hear the few fracks that there were, then it, that's, that's going to bounce off. Right. Cause if you, if you listen to it right after, even the next day, oh, you're only going to focus on, Oh, I messed, I missed that. Destroyed. I missed that. It's human right. nature. And then you're like, Oh, I made mistakes. Listen, you're going to make mistakes. We all make yeah, mistakes every a, time we play. That's not the important part. Um, back to Brian's thing there too. I, this is a thing I've, I've realized over the years I have to teach students is they know when they make a mistake, but I want to get more specific with it. Like, how did you miss it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. Well, that's, and this was the topic of my masterclass Monday night, how to learn from your mistakes. There it that is. Was my, that was exactly yeah. it. Yeah. So did you miss it high? Did you miss it low? Was it a fingering thing? Was it, you know, we're brass players. Was it an overtone issue? Um, were you early? Were you late? You know, what you need to be able to assess those things on the fly. Yeah. Yes, and these are awareness. tremendous learning opportunities. When you make a mistake in the practice room, that is teaching you something. That, it, that you can say, "Okay, I need to learn from that." Well, how did I? How did I screw up? And then, okay, that 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 informs and in how I can fix. Right. And then, as you build that habit of then doing it easily, correctly, and musically, then you're building your own success. So that when you step on stage. Uh, yeah, I've played this. I've played this a hundred times in the practice room, and I know exactly where it's going to go. And boom, yeah. And then when something blips, ah, eh, it's just not that a big deal. 
yeah, you're building that Teflon. It'll bounce off you when you make right. mistakes. Because saying, we all make mistakes. Well, sure. I say to my students all the time, you know, invite someone in. As soon as you think you have it, invite someone into the practice room play it for them or walk yeah. next door to their uh, practice room I and like say, it. hey, I'm going to play this for you. Because ultimately, look, a lot of pieces are just, a, especially the more technical ones, it's just a series of trumpet tricks that you've learned, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then and you're just going to kind of sew those together. I like it. So by the, trumpet tricks, I you know, like By it. the time you get to the recital, it should be you're going to walk out and do these 15 trumpet tricks in a row for the audience. You know, they're going to applaud and it's going to be great. But, you know, but but there's that too, right? Because in the preparation, I think, there be, there comes this excitement, right? You know, you have a student come into a lesson, they're fearful to play for you. Or you have the student come in who's chomping at the bit, wait till you hear this. I, I figured this out. I can right. do this. And ultimately, that's the mindset that will guarantee success. If they're ready to walk on stage because they're so excited to deliver what they've learned and what they've prepared, now we're in the right place. Right. But that's something again, we try to achieve. And what Brian was saying earlier, defining what success is becomes really really important absolutely you know especially when you know especially when you're struggling you know the idea of wow this has been hard for me this is really hard for me this is hard for me like i've had students that might be for example just one example really really accurate but i don't really hear an open sound right so i'm like all right we really i want to hear it you know you need to have that open full and clear sound full and clear full and clear and then we'll really get to that sound being open we'll go back to the piece of music and then it might be a little chippy i'm like Right, but that's the sound. That's the right sound. Right, that's a success. Like mm -hmm. what you just did there is you played musically with your best sound. And they're like, yeah, but I miss notes. Oh no, 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 no. That's a victory. That's a success. That's what we're. Uh, we know what Brian's talking about. We have to define that at every level. Yeah, um, I, it's so easy for us, right? I mean, the the mind fills any kind of void with negativity, right? Oh, and so yes. when you start to sit back and go, oh, man, my recital isn't a week. I wonder what's going to happen. Your mind's like, oh, not good things. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> immediately. I mean, immediately. Like you imagine every crash possible. I mean, how, you guys have had the musician dreams, right? Before the of recital. <laughs> like the showing up without shoes. You know, <laughs> horns, you know, something really bad happens. You can't make it on time. It's, oh, you know, just brutal the way the brain tries to play those tricks. Yeah, but and that's, again, where it comes down to you, for me, being very logical about these things becomes very helpful. Absolutely. Not just for the cocky nature of like, yeah, I'm a trumpet player. I'm the greatest thing ever. No, 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 no. That's not logical at all. <laughs> but, you know, I have practiced. I have prepared. I have done this well. There's no reason I can't do this well again or do this well in public. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, go ahead, Brian. Go I was going to say, I have another, the, uh, sort of the other side of this. Um, I have students who on occasion will be really upset with themselves when they play poorly. And um, you talk to them about, well, how much have you practiced this or how well have you played this? And uh, how, how well have you practiced it or how much have you played this? And they will reveal that, very very little time and i and you know that's also problematic because you can only expect of yourself what you put in and if you are honest with yourself and say look i just didn't spend time that's fine that you didn't spend the time but you can't beat yourself up for your no. performance if you didn't spend the time. Like, that's that's <laughs> not logical either. Yeah. So, like, you do the double whammy. Like, you're upset that you didn't spend the time and feel guilty, and you're upset that you didn't play well. But you can 
it's okay. You can, you can mitigate I, that and make it less painful. I'm thinking back to days when I was less nurturing, perhaps, than I am now, and said, <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you don't get to, you've not earned the right to be that upset about this performance. Oh, yeah, right. Right, right. right. Yeah, that's the way I think about it. Yeah, yeah you, didn't, you didn't earn that. Yeah, I mean, you can be upset that you didn't practice, but you don't get to be upset that you played poorly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think yeah, you got exactly. exactly what you deserved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, That was actually a very good indication of how you prepared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you have to own that, and that's, right. that's the reality of owning that. And that, that can be hard. Helpful. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, for performers, and I think, and, and teachers alike, we, we try to care for the students in so many ways to get them ready to go, and we help them with the music, and we practice the music, but this idea of creating opportunities to practice performance and more importantly, to practice succeeding yeah. along with that. And that's why I started with layer. from the very first time you look at it. I think it's really yeah. important. People so you yeah, start a from mindset. a place of, yeah. I can play this. You don't have to convince yourself. You start there. Yeah. And then you just keep proving it to yourself, both by learning it, then playing it for your friends, then playing for your teacher, and then playing it in public. And then you, and that can build upon itself where you just have continued success. Yeah. Yeah. Because we can do that. I mean, those things give us confidence. You know, back to the, the football analogy, you know, I always thought it was crazy when they said, well, this team has been to the playoffs how many years? And, you know, they have experience. And I'm thinking, but half these people weren't here. But you know what? It does matter because there's that culture. There's a culture. Yeah. The culture. There. The, culture is a, the culture is a huge yeah. part of this. And there's enough players who have succeeded and the other play people are looking around going, oh, no, 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 we can do this. We're on this trajectory. Here we are. This, this is our path. We're gonna, and, you and have to believe it. And the people that set that culture and, and, and enforce it say this is the level. This is where it is. Right. And so there are sometimes the players just don't know this. You know, I do remember there was a, a couple of people that transferred in during their like junior and senior year of high school into my high school, which was a very strong band program that my band directors had created a really great culture of performing at a high level and taking it seriously. And it was like, yeah, I was, I was first chair in my band. Well, not here. <laughs> you know, they came into something that they didn't even know existed. Right. And I think that even <laughs> yes, happens right. at a pro that even happens at a professional level where they're like, yeah, you know, I'm you know, I'm really good and then you show up and go, "Oh, oh. You guys are serious about this." Yeah. <laughs> and I've had that with students here at IU that they they come to IU because, "Well, I really like trumpet and I really like band and they play pretty they play really well." Mm -hmm. and, and then they get here and I'm saying, "Okay, so here's what we're doing." And have, I had this conversation a few times where they're like, oh, the, I don't want to do this. I just like playing trumpet and think it's fun. Mm. I'm like, well, I, I do too. Mm -hmm. But this is and my profession. <laughs> and it is. And they're like, it oh, no, no, be. no. I want this to just be like on the side and for fun. I said, okay, that's not what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. But they really just didn't even know what they were really getting into. And that's fine. And uh, uh, there's no hard feelings there. But right, there's a whole that creating that culture creates that level, creates that expectation of success, which mm -hmm. is what we really, really want. I want students going out there thinking, I have done the work, I'm going to succeed because I I should. Right. Yeah. And exactly. isn't that it too, you know, that like you're saying, Joey, from the very beginning, there's an expectation about a level of detail, right? Yeah. about the level of detail that's needed and the level of study that's needed to be successful. And you build that in from the beginning and you go. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, uh, this was a this was a really great topic. I, I was so excited for these couple of students. And I thought this is that this is a great thing to talk about, because for I think for a long time, I didn't, you know, obviously was caring for the trumpet part of it. But realizing, boy, you need to stack these successes up to give somebody a chance to succeed. Absolutely. You know, and this is good stuff. So now time for no offense. 
hoping it goes well is not okay. (laughs) 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 I want to quote Brian's here, sprinkling high notes with hope. (laughs) <laughs> right, I think is what he said. Does not make them better, uh, or hoping you have a good day on your recital, or hoping your chops feel right. Success is a skill that can be practiced. I think we've covered that really well today. But um, yeah, you you got to change if you're going in there hoping it goes well. I I, I always use the term with with students. I said, well, so it sounds like you practice a little bit, but you're still rolling the dice here. That's good. Like you've got a shot. You've practiced it enough where if everything lines up, it just might work. Mm-hmm. But boy, any little thing goes off, and oh, snake eyes, you're busted. <laughs> yeah, you're rolling dice. You're exactly. rolling the dice. Not okay. We do not want to roll the dice in public. Yeah. It's why I love rehearsal. Right. I played with this uh, this little orchestra in New York um, the year bef- the year before I I came down to Rowan. Uh, for the job, and uh, it was four days a week in New York. Um, on Thursdays, we had seven hours of rehearsal. Oh, on my God. F- on Friday morning, we had four hours of rehearsal. Wow. On Monday morning, we had three hours of rehearsal. We did concerts at 2 o'clock and 7 o'clock. And on Tuesday night, we did an 8 o'clock concert. And that concert was absolutely smoking every week. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. It was killing Every single week, and everybody was all in, and it was it was fantastic. It was a great orchestra. That's a great brutal players. schedule. It was a great it was a great schedule. Yeah, yeah, it was brutal, but it was it was fantastic. And I just you know it was it was an hour and a half uh, from my front door to my chair, um, in uh, taking the train into the city, and yeah. it was it was spectacular. I had a had a great time, and everybody was completely invested. Um, and man, those Tuesday night shows were just killer <laughs> sparkling yeah yeah so nobody yeah. was hoping for everything everybody anything everybody knew everybody where everything knew. was going right. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 meeting those expectations yeah that's yeah. that's great well listen that should about do it for today uh, we've come to the end of yet another episode of the open bell thanks for joining us on this episode stay tuned tell your friends and students and please please practice success so long for now remember to keep an open mind but more importantly an open bell